It's your boy, me. And guess what? This is most definitely Distazapod. We got some wonderful questions from both the Facebook group and patrons, but I wanted to focus on the question of the week. This one I thought was really interesting and touched on a lot of uh, great themes that I've been thinking about lately. And this is from Gordon McKinnon Hall, who, by the way, has completed a very cool little fanzine about Mecha Zone and the Mechanauts. So you really should check that out. It's a fun little read and it's got some great art in it. Gordon says, Hackerman, Raddick, Cybermama all seem to point to a really interesting design idea of characters having multiple personalities between the physical realm and the vector. Do you see a character's vector avatar as always being some variation on their physical form? Or could someone with Cybermama's physical appearance look like Hackerman in the vector? So this is a really awesome question, and this is something that I'm I've been contemplating for a while, and that plays very much into this theme of heading into the vector, the different levels of the vector, um, this this big expansive idea of what this is. And this runs parallel to an f- interesting phenomenon I want to lay out for you guys, and it's a bit dense, um, so it's okay if you get lost here, because it's, a, it's heady stuff. But um, what I think of first is the phrase Kafka-esque, right? Hopefully you know what Kafka-esque means or when something feels Kafka-esque. You know, it's not a, it's not really, I don't think it should be in your day-to-day vocabulary. But it is a, um, I like this word because it's very descriptive, it's very evocative, and it really tells you exactly, uh, it conveys a a, a deep feeling when something is Kafka-esque. Now, being Kafkaesque, you know, is obviously uh, attributed to Franz Kafka, the sort of, I, don't, I wouldn't say a horror writer, but a, you know, short story and novelist at the turn of the century, who is probably best known for Metamorphosis, in which a the main character sort of slowly turns into a gigantic human-sized bug. Um, and, you know, that, the phenomenon of Kafka's writing... Uh, you know, created this sort of, I wouldn't say a genre, but a classification for not just writing, but sort of a a complex bundle of emotions that are evoked from a specific work. And so we got the word Kafka-esque. And now, this happened in, you know, uh, at the turn of the century. I think he was born in the late 1800s and died probably in the 20s or 30s if I'm remembering correctly so it's a relatively sort of contemporary word Uh, but what we started to see was things prior to Kafka could now be applied to this word Kafka-esque you know if you if you go back to like early sci-fi or early horror um, writings um, they could be described as Kafka-esque, despite predating the existence of Franz Kafka and the definition of this word. So what we see is that sometimes a word can be a definition of something that's always been there, been in humanity, but it's never been crystallized or synthesized to where we could have a, a simple phrase that encapsulates you know, that complex idea. Now, what are the attributes of Kafkaesque? I would say, like, abject terror, body horror. Um, sometimes it's Gothic, sometimes it's Victorian. There, It's, you know, you just sort of know it when you see it. And so language sort of evolved, and culturally we came up with this phrase that could then be retroactively fitted onto this sort of series of emotions and ideas and thoughts and visuals. Um, that we just couldn't sort of process or give a word to before. Now, I would like to think the analogous here is that it is two things. We've had, as human beings, the concept of a soul, 
for a very long time. And this is a, an idea that is prevalent in a lot of sort of uh, religions, a lot of cultures. It almost has universality. There is, you know, typically in, in sort of um, in different uh, cultures or different persuasions, you typically have some kind of component that deals with this loose idea of a soul. Like the, the sort of, you know, your non-physical body manifestation of life. You know, I think that's a good way to kind of surmise as a soul. And then we've also had the concept of multiple dimensions for a very long time, and probably longer than modern mathematics have been able to sort of formulate or speculate about multiple dimensions. You know, again, if you go back to early sci-fi uh, in the, you know, 1800s or Jules Verne or, you know, around that era, you'll see that the idea of multiple dimensions is not... You know, it was sort of something that we were scratching at the surface of, but we didn't necessarily have a sophisticated terminology for it. But these two things, the idea of a soul and the idea of a multiple dimension, existed for a very long time. And now I think we're at the point, not just in real life humanity, but also in the story of Knights of the Slice, that we can sort of explain the idea of a soul and the idea of multiple dimensions in the terms of the modern day internet, right? Because your soul in a classical sense is a, is, you know, the, the ajou that is not encapsulated within your body, so to speak. Um, and I think that our digital footprint is kind of like a soul now. You know, somebody may pass away in real life, but you may still get friend requests from this person, or they may have messages that are in your inbox, or, you know, their search traffic may be a pattern of behavior that could be mappable to an AI. And in, in that aspect, we're talking about attributes of a unique, specific person that exist beyond their corporal form beyond their sort of body and, and living consciousness. Um, this also really works for multiple dimensions. If you think of it, you know, the internet or video games in the same way that I have sort of described the expansiveness of the vector and the Leviathan, you know, multiple worlds could be different levels of the same game. Uh, in terms of like, Gordon's question about, you know, there are multiple versions of Cybermama. This could be the same thing as Lara Croft. You know, she exists in Tomb Raider 1 in a very polygon sort of form. She exists in Tomb Raider 2 with slightly updated graphics all the way down to, you know, the most latest incarnations that are almost photoreal and pretty specific. And then you also have her versions in live action films. So we get this idea of multiple dimensions and sort of different, slightly different, but the same version of the same person. I, I think we can see an analogous there to, you know, how we sort of use the internet, how we play games, how we watch films, and the various iterations of characters in that regard. So, kind of an obtuse sort of way to start this off, but I think that in the same way that, you know, creating the word Kafkaesque gave us context to something that was very old and we we sort of didn't synthesize in that way, I think the modern day internet and in my storytelling, the vector, are ways of sort of synthesizing the idea of a soul in multiple dimensions. Now I realize I actually didn't really answer Gordon's uh, question. So let me take a deep breath, and I'll do that now. So now to answer specifically what Gordon asked me, um, do characters, vector avatars, necessarily have to reflect uh, their sort of IRL character? And no, they don't at all. We don't know 
who's behind Raddick. We don't know who's behind Hackerman. But we do know that Cyber Mama does exist in the real world because Rex Gannon has interacted with her at uh, Jumbo's Clown Room in Los Angeles during his mission. So, with the exception of Cyber Mama, I would say that uh, Hackerman and Raddick could be anybody. And that could be a very interesting rabbit hole we go down in the future once these figures are released. So now we go to our Patreon questions. Uh, to my patrons, I am packing up some wonderful Christmas gifts for you guys. Hang in there. By the end of the year, you can have something great in the mail. And I'm also working overtime to right all the wrongs of any missing Patreon gifts or things like that that have come up throughout the year. So uh, hang in there. It's going to be a great time. And uh, for those who aren't patrons, uh, we have announced two new gifts that are very exciting. First one is the Hyperzine. Now this is a small booklet I put together with some artwork and some juicy tidbits and reveals about the origin of a very special Night of the Slice. This answers questions that have come up many times that I've said no comment to. So $5 and $25 patrons will be getting that little zine. $25 patrons will also be getting the silver gunmetal desert rat, the cyborg desert rat. This this piece is so super cool. You guys are going to love it. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting that out to you guys. So hang in there. We're almost to the time where that will be in your mailbox. Kicking off the patron questions with Eric Sorrels. Um, this is in response to me showing the Hackerman tooling models off to everybody on Patreon. Eric says, because of the extra tooling and materials used, will he cost more than a standard figure? Uh, yes, I believe so. There are two factors at play here. One is um, prices continue to go up in China. No surprise there. Uh, up there are whispers of another sort of tariff increase. I, it hasn't gotten a lot of coverage on the news, but it, you know, I've been told that that's underway. We'll see if that happens. Um, plastics cost and petroleum and everything else has gone up as well. So uh, my prices are likely going up in 2020, unfortunately. Um, the other part is Hackerman is the single most ambitious figure we've ever done. Uh, he is taller, so he requires more plastic. He has an army of accessories, which add to the cost. This is the biggest tooling bill I've ever gotten to date. I'm working now on some minor revisions that I think will help sort of, uh, you know, reduce somewhat some of the costs. But yeah, this is going to be a big deluxe figure. But the good news is you buy one of them, you're going to have a ton of extra heads and accessories and things to uh, really play around with. And... Um, I'm personally very excited for it, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, moving on, Yex has given us a couple questions. Uh, Yex is not feeling well. Let's hope he feels better. Yex says, I've had a bad stomach bug and essentially haven't eaten in the last week. What's the most amazing thing you've eaten? Um, let's see here. Most amazing thing I've eaten. Um... You know, I'm sort of a, uh, I'm a bit of a creature of routine. So I just like waking up and eating the same things over and over again. Uh, my current rotation is uh, I make a little omelet. I have some vegan veggie cheese I put on it and uh, usually some bacon and um, a uh, coffee that is mostly almond milk with just a tiny bit of coffee in it. Um, and... I think that's the most amazing thing I've eaten the past week, and it's something I eat every day. I just like to have a very structured sort of, uh, you know, formula for starting the day, and it gives me great joy. Uh, moving on, Matthew Paquette says, I may have missed this in a prior podcast, but can you talk about the decision to make Cyber Mama's arm one piece? I'm guessing it's because of all the fine details. And I may also have missed this, but what is the purpose of her helmet? She's great, by the way. She arrived yesterday. Thank you. I appreciate that. I think also um, there was a question further down here. Uh, oh, this is uh, relates to something else. Okay, we'll get back. We have a lot of staggered questions. I don't know if that's the format that Patreon sort of posted these in. 
or if people just kept coming back to the well. So I might hop around a little bit and I do apologize. But um, Cyber Mama's Arm is in one piece primarily because of the size of it. It, it is very skeletal and very small. Um, now, OG Night of the Slice fans know that this is Skull Grimson's arms. Um, you know, she is a sort of Frankenstein creation from some previous sculpts that never got made. Um, there is no way to do a glyos joint in the size of arm that she has. If you look at the Rift Killer, at the elbows, we typically have issues with the amount of real estate that's in those elbows. And sometimes you can kind of see the peg of the forearm peeking through because it's so very thin. So there was no way to uh, sort of articulate this arm or add the twist joint without bulking it up substantially. And uh, I always wanted a skeletal, you know, feel to these limbs. So it's very intentional that it's one solid piece. I'm always of the sort of thought process that I, I want to maintain the artistic cohesiveness of a sculpt rather than cut it up just for the sake of articulation. You know, I think that if you want hyper-articulated figures, there are more, you know, more options out there for you. Um, Knights of Slice is always supposed to be sort of, it's supposed to have movement, but it is supposed to cut a silhouette first. And the sculpt dictates the articulation, not vice versa. So, um, yeah, there's just legit, like, in an engineering sense, we, we couldn't uh, add anything there, and I'm, I'm actually okay with it. Um, I do not believe we have discussed the purpose of her helmet, and I'm not ready to do that. But there is a story there, and we will get to it soon. Hopping back to Yex, uh, he just watched the Star Wars Holiday Special for the first time. Man, it's a trip. Have you seen it? Did you see it on TV when it came out? Thoughts on it? I should have mentioned it as bizarre and terrible as it was. I actually immensely enjoyed it. Um, I did, I did see the holiday special. There was a cut of it that was on the early days of YouTube. Um, I'm sure you could probably find it on YouTube. I know Lucas tried to sort of completely kill it and hide it. I did not see it originally. Um, I believe it predated my birth by a year or two. Um, it is an absolute trip. I actually really like the animated pieces of it. They had a sort of funky French sci-fi, almost a Mobius sort of feeling to them. And uh, I thought that that was interesting, at least. It, it's a sort of take on Star Wars and the characters that you, you didn't see back then. There was only really literal interpretations of the characters in the style guide and in the products and things like that. This was a real departure, and I think it's kind of bold and interesting for that. The live-action parts of it are absolute garbage, and it is clearly the result of TV executives doing mountains of cocaine. There's no other way to describe how they came upon these ideas. Um, but if you guys can find it online, check it out, and then wash your eyeballs with bleach. Don't do that. Legally, I have to tell you not to do that. Um, Yex also says, If there was a gun to my head and I had to release another food-themed figure... What food would you pick? Um, yeah, as Yex hinted on, I don't like food-themed figures. Um, you know, we're sort of cursed because Knights of the Slice is the entryway to this universe that forever people will be pitching, um, you know, ground beef bad guys and things like that. Uh, gun to my head. Uh, I think Jack did a very interesting cake night that just looked like a gigantic cake. Um, I think I'll pick that if I, if I must. Um, Sean Houlihan, do I have a favorite Acid Rain figure? I mean, they're all so great in their own way. I really love the astronaut he did a year or two ago. I highly recommend that figure. And I love Old Bob. I love the character of Old Bob. I think it's, um, uh, maybe he's just called Bob. I'm, <laughs> I might be confusing the name from, uh, Disney's Black Hole. But, um, I think that, uh, if you, if you dig into Kit's story and stuff like that, there's some really awesome characters. And uh, I think if you're going to 
take a dip a toe into the world of Asteroid, I think the astronauts can be had pretty cheap. And, you know, it's essentially a full figure plus the armor. The armor comes off and you can have a sort of standard grunt type figure. And uh, I really like that. I just spoke with Kit last night. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the collaboration later on with somebody else's question. So I'll leave it for that. Uh, Philip Rara, is there an ideal toy you really want that exists only in your mind but is not available anywhere? Yeah, I, th- I sort of feel like Radic and Hackerman and Sen5 and Chromega are toys I really want that don't exist. But the good news is two of those are, you know, in development. I, I don't tend to dream or fantasize outside of the work that's in front of me because the work that's in front of me is a dream in in a lot of respects. It is sort of manifestation of the thoughts in my head. So I feel lucky that there's not, I don't have an inclination to fantasize about mythical toys I could make because I, I feel like we're already doing that together. And that's a pretty radical thing. Moving on, David Landstreet, who I believe has just joined us on Patreon. So welcome to you, my friend. He says uh, he's not seeing a resemblance to Gene Hackerman in the photos I posted. I understand. I'll, I'll work on the likeness. Um, he saw the Star Wars special on TV. It's a must-see. A small oasis of Star Wars in a desolated sea. Uh, Everyone remembers the Boba Fett part. Oh, it was uh, Ralph Bosky that did the animation. Okay, interesting. Um, uh, so anyway, he's not asking a question. He's just, uh, he's agreeing that people should see the Star Wars holiday special. And I do think as a curiosity, it's worth checking out for sure. Uh, Matthew Paquette chimes in here, and this may be news to non-patrons. Uh, I know that you said Hobbs Foundry is probably finished at the end of the year. One item I missed out on and was hoping was returning was replica pizza slices any chance of a return in 2020? Any patrons out there want to share the wealth? My nights are hungry. Um, so, yes, Hobbs Foundry is probably going away. And uh, it hasn't earned a lot of money. It hasn't been very popular. There's been very few orders for it. And what I'm trying to do in terms of modernizing our fulfillment process may not allow us to do things, uh, you know, that require tiny individual pieces to make up an order because that's a real time suck. So Hobbs Foundry may be going away. The store is going to open up um, one or two times in December. So if you guys need Hobbs Foundry things, load up now. What is the minimum thing that's going to happen is that I will bring Hobbs Foundry product to our shows that we do. So Toy Pizza Con in July and then uh, things like um, designer con should we do that next year so that will probably be you know how Hobbs Foundry exists I may also work out some sort of deal for patrons where Hobbs Foundry is a sort of mini store that could be open to them I I'm not committing to any of this including you know sort of nuking Hobbs Foundry just yet this is in the sort of theoretical realm for the time being but uh, I would say safely if you need items off of that area, you should absolutely uh, load up next time the store is open. And that would be my advice to you. Brian Gloss asks, what is your favorite tokusatsu design and have I ever thought of incorporating it into Knights of the Slice? Um, My favorite Takasatsu design is probably Inazuman, who is a sort of blue moth, as best I can tell. I just think it's such a weird and creepy and kind of beautiful uh, character and costume design. So that's my favorite. But I would say in terms of being influential to Knights of the Slice, there's this screen cap of Red Falcon, and half of his mask is destroyed, and there's all these like electronic uh, wires and plates sticking out. And uh, I always thought that was such an amazing image. And I, I never knew what it was from, but I sort of printed it out and had it in one of my notebooks. And um, that was obviously the inspiration behind the battle-damaged Knight of the Slice head that, you know, is uh, sort of so prevalent out there. Um, so I would say that that also is like a pretty signature image 
that has uh, you know permeated what we do. In terms of integrating specific tokusatsu designs into Knights of Slice, I don't think I want to do that. You know, I want our brand to live on its own, even though obviously it's a pastiche of all these different sort of properties and characters. Um, I do struggle and try as best I can to kind of have it stand as its own entity rather than, you know, borrow heavily from other places, which I know sounds completely ironic, but it's true. Uh, moving on. Brian Rios. If there's an opportunity to create a Knights of the Slice playset, what theme would come to mind? Definitely Sub-City. I imagine a sort of floating catamaran-style playset. Something that could could work in the pool, but also be a display outside of the pool. I just think Sub-City is such an interesting sort of you know, part of this world, and I, I like spending time there, for sure. Uh, Brett Lawson says, I really think Cyber Mama looks awesome with the classic knight arms, legs, and crotch. It, may, it matches perfectly. Did we do this on purpose? Yes, absolutely. She was originally, uh, Old Knight was originally supposed to come with the Cyber Mama head and torso, and they didn't end up working out that way. So yes, 100% intentional. She was sculpted with that in mind. Um, can we please get a classic night in the same clear pink? Uh, yes, and I will put it in the store before the end of the year. Um, maybe we'll do a Christmas Day sale. So pay close attention. Your wish is my command. I'll make it happen. Moving on, Quentin Russo. Have you seen Gendy Tartkovsky's Tartkovsky's uh, new series Primal? I love it. You two working together would be a dream come come true. Um, I have, I saw the trailer for it. I have not watched it. Uh, you're hundred percent right. I should watch it. I know it has a heavy Chromega feel to it. Um, yeah, I got to watch it. I don't actually know where it is available. I'm guessing Adult Swim maybe, but yeah, let me, uh, I'm going to jot this down right now. Oh God, I dropped my pen. Okay. Primal. I'm going to watch it. Thank you. Thank you for the reminder on that. Moving on to uh, Gavin Rader and our last Patreon questions. I know I skipped a couple comments um, and sort of unclear questions on the Patreon thread, so my apologies. We've got a lot to get to. Gavin says, You were recently talking about a bundle of Cybermoms. Uh, Cybermama. Do you think when Radic and Hackerman you'd offer plan for this as well would you ever consider an exclusive figure that only comes with a pre-order bundle right now i'm playing with the osm blue star metamorpho and astronautilus i would really dig a blue glow radic or Hackerman. i'm digging on Hackerman muchly still crossing my fingers for meat ambassador but was excited to see pics of the decon paint sample could you post that uh, coat <laughs> sorry could you post pics of that here soon also the helmet for Hackerman reminds me of joe camel it's the vents uh, below the visor, they look like nostrils to me. The other three heads are just so damn cool. Major Mad Max vibe from the Mohawk head. There's a lot of character in the Burlap Sack head as well. Uh, zooming in on the details of the torso, there's some great sculpting on the belt, and even that little zipper is so crisp. Thank you, Gavin. I appreciate uh, all the compliments. Uh, let me do my best to answer your questions here. So, um, I, have, I have put up a poll on Patreon to see if patrons would be interested in ordering a small bundle of Cyber Mamas when she arrives. This would be not unlike our sort of Rift Killer bundle, which was four painted figures, four material figures, and uh, was shipped out long before they ended up in the store. Uh, The voting for this Cyber Mama bundle deal was pretty conclusive. I think it was 90% of people wanted that to happen. So... Uh, I haven't made any promises yet, but I'm taking it under consideration. The biggest factor in all this will be when do the goods arrive and how do the paint samples look? I haven't seen them yet. I need to make sure they're okay and that uh, we're not sort of going back to the drawing board in terms of deco and repaints and things like that. So, um, you know, just uh, keep your interest warm on that. I will make an announcement if it's going to happen and that will go out to patrons. Um, would I ever consider uh, a sort of bundle deal for Radic and Hackerman? I would definitely consider it. 
but we're so there's so many more steps to Raddick and Hackerman that I can't even imagine getting to that stage yet where sort of painted styles are locked in and I have an arrival date and things like that. So it's incredibly possible if people really, if patrons really like the Cyber Mama bundle and they put up for her, then um, it would definitely give me heavier consideration to do that for those other two characters. Um, would I consider having an exclusive figure that only comes with a pre-order bundle? We've sort of done that a little bit. Um, I think there have been exclusive like accessories, but you know, I the purpose of a bundle is not to exclude general customers or non-patrons. The purpose of a bundle is to allow a small select group of people that are typically higher ticket buyers to get something early. And typically these are offered through Patreon because people are paying for the privilege uh, to access of, of things like that. So the purpose of a bundle is, uh, from my perspective, is to, to sort of earn back the investment of capital that I've made instantaneously, you know, because it costs Cybermom alone, uh, boy, probably, let's see here, oh man, she's pricey, probably $25,000 out of pocket to get her, you know, done and ready and shipped over here. So I'm running for several months, $25,000 in the hole regarding this project. And so by doing a bundle, instead of having one single figure that one customer will buy one of, which will give me a $25 to $35 sale, um, this gives me a higher ticket price, probably closer to $100, that allows me to earn back that $25,000 a lot quicker potentially in a single sale, potentially in a single day. So bundling is good for customers that can afford it because they get goods a little bit early and they see stuff that the general public may not see. And it's good for me because I'm running at a loss for every new figure up until I can get them in store and get them sold. So it sort of helps bring me current and give sort of alpha customers a nice little special thing. So um, I understand if people may feel like they miss out by not being a patron. I understand if people, you know, a small vocal minority uh, don't like bundles or blind sales or things like that. But you have to understand this operation, uh, it functions at a loss for up for six months to a year up until I can launch a new style of figure. And because that risk is so great, I don't think it's unreasonable to sort of offer up bundles, especially when a single day of sales can help bring the project into the green. And more green means more figures for all of us. And with that, we hop over to Facebook and we've got some good questions cooking over here. First up, Gabriel Tovar, who I believe is a relatively new squire of the slice. He says, will we be seeing any more collaborations coming next year? Like how we've gotten stuff from Chacon, Thousand Toys, Super 7, etc. Um, and then Eric Verdi correctly posts a clip art image of Acid Rain, <laughs> and he's correct. Uh, yes, there are going to be a lot more collaborations next year. Um, obviously, we're working hard at the Kitlau Acid Rain Toys Alliance crossover. Um, that will definitely happen next year. Uh, other than that, we're in the weeds of production and sculpting and working on it. It's very complex, but very rewarding. So definitely that will be coming. And there's going to be a couple of surprise collaborations next year as well, but nothing I can comment on at this moment. Uh, James Davis says, what's the absolute worst comic series or storyline you've ever read? Uh, the first thing that pops into my mind was that there was a comic series that came out around Modern Warfare 2, um, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. There was a, a mini-series about the character Ghost. And I remember reading, I was obsessed with Modern Warfare 2. 
we actually had a clan of friends and we would play all the time. It was it was like peak, you know, online gaming. Um, and I remember reading the comic and just thinking, I don't believe anyone involved in this comic has ever played this game, understands the characters or anything about it. It was a very, very weird and gory story about, um, like, psychological torture, and it, it had almost nothing to do with the sort of storyline of the game. I think it was an attempt to sort of inflate the character of Ghost and giving him an interesting backstory, but it made no sense. It, it seemed like it was maybe a, a spec script that they sort of retrofitted to work for Modern Warfare, but there are interesting enough stories within the game that you can follow, and really, you know, your goal for a Modern Warfare comic is just kind of to do the Tom Clancy thing. You want sort of interesting locales, you want action, you want gunfights, you want a bad, bad guy, and it's not that complicated. And this comic, while I, granted I did not read the entire series, I was so turned off by the, the first one, um, it just seems so completely foreign that I think it was one of the worst uh, that I had read for sure. Um, and that's what that's what sort of pops in my head. Moving on to Chris Solis. With more emphasis on characters who can tra transverse the digital realms, will we have more exploration into that world? Maybe more like Neuromancer than The Matrix. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think that, the, that 2020 is really about the vector and these digital realms and the ramifications for these characters in this bigger online world. So that's that's definitely a heavy theme that we'll be tackling. Um, so yeah, and then a follow-up question, what are your thoughts on the Busho Shinki figures? The figure designs are pure anime, but I do love the Mugenbein-like armors, and he posts a couple pictures of them. Uh, I think they're interesting enough, but I've never bought one, I've never wanted to. I know Jack is a big collector of them. Uh, yeah, I don't know why. I, I, I'm, I don't find sort of stereotypical anime female characters to be captivating or interesting to me. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I feel like they all look very similar, or they all borrow from the same sort of visual playbook. Um, you know, I just don't, I don't find a lot of interesting variety or imperfection in those characters, and so it doesn't appeal to me personally. But I do, I have seen some incredible builds with that stuff, and I think it's cool. Philip Barrara, could we see another Frankenslice two-pack featuring Cyber Mama and an old knight? I, under, I understand I can already use existing material boys, but I love the complementary colors of a two-pack. Um, I think it's entirely possible, but if you're interested in an old knight that fits Cyber Mama perfectly, watch the store later on this month. I think I've already uh, gone into depth on that in an earlier question. So that's going to be your next big opportunity for that. Moving on, Eric Verde. Any shareable news on the production uh, release stage of Micro Cyber Mama? I see that she was funded greenlit in early November. Will she be the next to hit our hands, or will we have other variations of her already in the works? Also, will she be the same tone as the December action figure of the month? Just curious. Regardless of timing, uh, my teal ember and my teal ember piss and death are excited to meet her. I'm sure they are. Uh, as far as I know, yes, we should be able to match the color pretty precisely for the micros and the December action figure of the month. So no worry there. Um, she, I do not believe she will be the next painted Cyber Mama that people get in their hands, but she should be shipping out pretty soon after the other painted Cyber Mama's land. Uh, again, I'm waiting on paint samples. I do not yet know how successful uh, my designs were translated into physical, you know, painted figures. So a lot of question marks over that. But um, she is in production. She could be on the assembly line as we speak. She may be getting sprayed with spray masks at this very moment. So we're close, and uh, I would think if we do in fact beat the Chinese New Year break, um, she would be shipping out Q1. So pretty soon, pretty soon. 
Moving on, Charlie Wrighton. Is Hackerman a single being or a legion of Hackerman, and how does he rank power-wise against the likes of Death Knight and Device Ninjas? This is a fantastic question, Charlie. Hackerman is a legion. Um, there is a hive intelligence there. There are deviations where individual Hackerman can have unique personalities and make independent choices. Uh, in terms of the power scale, Hyper Knight is probably well I don't want to I don't want to spoil too many things but let's let's go with sort of character information uh, you know in, when you play Dungeon Dragons you have player information and you have character information player information is things that you the human being controlling a character would know that is not necessarily information that your character would know so going off of character information things that only other beings in the world of Knights of the Slice would know uh, Hyper Knight would be the most powerful humanoid-type character uh, that's been released so far. Hyper Knights are deathly afraid of Hackermen. So, uh, I made the illusion before um, of, if you ever watched the movie The Keep, you have sort of German army soldiers, and then you have the SS soldiers. And the German army soldiers are kind of afraid of the SS soldiers because those are the complete psychopaths. Um, so that's kind of the similar dynamic here. Hyper Knights are sort of really bred for war and uh, very combative and some of the best skilled warriors in the world. They are afraid of Hackermen. Hackermen are the absolute shock troopers. They, they are tasked with infusing horror into populations. Um, they are really a manifestation of all the things that go bump in the night and the, the, you know, the imaginations that we have in the dark that we're afraid of. So hackermen are, will be undoubtedly, sort of hugely powerful. Um, now Death Knight, Char, you know, Charlie asked how Death Knight would compare to hackermen or on the power scale. Death Knight, uh, you know, he has so many different forms. It's difficult to say. I don't actually consider Death Knight to be particularly powerful, but he is very elusive and slippery. And, and um, you know, as stated in the original Death Knight, he is sort of, he has the ability to sort of phase and become immaterial and um, sort of transient in nature. So Death Knight's, Death Knight's powers... Uh, are more about evasion and manipulation and being able to hide rather than a sort of full frontal attack. Now, when Death Knight combined with Chaos, you get this sort of entity that is hard to hit and also immensely powerful. You know, I would say that that the Chaos King um, potentially is, you know, one of the more powerful uh, non-human characters. Knights of the Slice. Device ninjas are sort of like the T-800 in Terminator 1. They're very determined. They're incredibly resilient to damage. But at the end of the day, they are a machine. And without the sort of ingenuity of a human mind, they can be fooled. They can be beaten. They can be manipulated. But you would not want to go up against a device ninja just skill to skill. Royal Knight, famously, was the only Knight of the Slice to beat a Device Ninja in standard sword fighting combat. And he was mortally wounded for it. So, with a Device Ninja, you never want to sort of go toe-to-toe -to -toe with them. But, if you're smart enough, if you trick them, if you use logic games, if, you know, you can devise a sort of distraction and hit them from the side or behind, uh, you can't overcome them. So that's how I would sort of lay out all of the powers for them. Jake Meyer says, is it hard choosing what is and isn't worth doing a homage colorway of? Um, I Not that hard. I would say that the difficult part is more finding an homage that passes all my sort of hurdles for doing a, an homage figure. So that means it has to be profound to me and I tend to like more obscure things and it also has to be worth 
selling out in some respect. Because I do consider homages for me personally to be a bit of a sellout. I, you know, um, I don't like doing homages because I think it's cheap and easy money. Now, I'm not besmirching anyone who does homages. I'm perfectly fine, and I like buying homages from other makers. For me personally, I'm here to forward the story of my characters. And when I do an homage piece, it's using somebody else's ideas or characters or colors, and it's not advancing my personal storylines or things like that. So, um, because I have all these sort of, all this baggage with homages, um, the difficulty of selecting one is really about the idea or the original character being so meaningful that it's worth me selling a little part of my soul in order to do one. Now, Exo Squad, fantastic cartoon, hugely influential to me. A toy line I love very dearly. One of my first mentors in the toy industry was one of the heads of the Exo Squad project at Playmates. Um, so, very special sort of feeling that dictated to me, hey, this is an homage I want to do. This is a, a note that is uh, important to me. So, um, I think the heavy lifting is really in, like, it has to be that compelling in order to do it. Because um, I, I just don't want to do homages sort of, you know, just for the sake of doing them. Uh, Blake Wilner says, "Will you? are you ever going to make a pizza shield that fits on Cyber Mama? Um, not that fits on Cyber Mama. Next question, Snake Pike, will there ever be EPD hypermicros? Um, will the Psycho Arm ever go into production? Any more Hyper Knight Material Boys coming out? So, I don't think we will do EPD hypermicros. I think that uh, the micros theme is pretty much done with. We're going to ship the final micros, Cyber Mama, and uh, I don't know that we'll go back to that well. I think we've pretty well covered and offered up some pretty exciting, uh, you know, Micronauts-inspired figures. I think we've done a good job of carrying the torch and keeping that toy line idea alive in the three and three-quarter inch scale. Um, also, by the way, uh, the Micronauts fans, especially on Facebook, not that nice to deal with. Of course, there's exceptions, and we've had some really great folks carry over from the Micronauts uh, fan group, but I actually left that group because I, I find there is a weird, weird petulance to uh, some Micronauts fans. I've also seen it with G.I. Joe fans, too. I, I don't know what it is. I, I is. I suspect part of it is age. I think that G.I. Joe and Micros uh, are just a, a generation older than where I think the, you know, the sweet spot is for being an e-commerce toy seller. And what I mean by that is, you know, we are fortunate enough to have a lot of young fans of Knights of the Slice. And there's no greater example of this than Decon when we get to sort of interact and, and talk with all these people. And, um, you know, generally, the younger fans are super enthusiastic to be there. They're happy to interact with the creators. They love to sort of do fan art and contribute. And even if they're not necessarily buying every single thing we make, they enjoy the community. And they also know, with some level of expertise, how to sort of use social media and interact and and the decorum and bedside manner that you know one would take with a brand page or things like that i find with people that are my age or even older i'm going to be 40 uh, so the 40 to 50 year old toy fans i think these are the the people that like type in all caps and sort of pick fights or nag on facebook and don't really get how that's perceived necessarily to other people because I do think that like the language and posture we use on Facebook and Instagram and things like that it's rapidly changed and we have a sort of unspoken way to do things and uh, recently I'm not gonna name names but recently there was an independent toy maker who posted this big screed about people not pre-ordering series two 
of his toy line. And this is what I mean by the older generations not getting how communication sort of works ideally on Facebook and Instagram in today's world. And specifically, if you're trying to reach a big audience and you're trying to cultivate a customer base and you want to encourage people to buy your stuff. So there's this big diatribe about how, you know, essentially nobody was pre-ordering Series 2. Uh, he was calling out anybody who was a lurker and not sort of participating. Um, you know, just X, Y, and Z. Just that the line was going to be over. It was going to be their fault. Doom and gloom. You know, just uh, sort of putting people on blast. Now, I promptly unfollowed, and I'm not going to be buying any more stuff from this maker. Because I, I just find... I find that treatment of people at large and, and a public forum to be so distasteful. I can't see straight when it comes to the product, whether it's good or not. It just, it rubs me the wrong way. I, look, I've wanted to do diatribes myself. You know, I would love to sort of be combative with people I feel are not actually there to sort of enjoy a toy, but just there to kind of troll. But I don't do it because I think that there is a there's a, a language to these things. And customers do deserve respect in as so much as they're willing to give respect. So, I, you know, I find that, uh, you know, if our average customer is about 30 years old, I think if you add 10 to 20 years to that, the, uh, I guess the crankiness gets ratcheted up. And uh, I, I don't like those fan bases. I like our fan base. I think that we've managed to avoid uh, having, you know, any antagonistic people. A couple people, you know, they get cranky now and then. They miss out on something. Everybody complains. You know, it, it comes with the territory. But I think largely our group is really good. And it's, you know, you guys deserve a lot of credit for that. Um, now, look, I digress. Let me get back to the, uh, the last two questions here. Will a psycho arm ever go into production? Um, maybe, but I, I don't, with everything that I know is coming up, I don't see an opening for it. So it's still kind of on the list, but I haven't had that strike of inspiration that makes me say, okay, this absolutely needs to go in there. And then are there any more Hyper Knight Material Boys coming out? Yeah, we got a lot. And we're actually going to experiment with our very first Material Plus format, which will feature a Material Boy plus some interesting accessories just to give you a little more value in uh, your customizing needs. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, there you have it, folks. I hope you're having a wonderful Friday. This has been Distazapod. You have been great. And the only thing left to say is pizza out.